I believe if we want to sing while we pray and while we plead, you probably want to go with 997. No, 987. Sorry about that. 997. Oh, is 987. Oh, did I write down the number? Okay, 987 is a little different one. Okay, sorry about that. That's okay. I'm just, I'm just giving them a fair warning. Uh, some of them are already looking for which one it was going to be. If you hadn't given the title, we said we just had to figure out what that one was, 987. I appreciate that. Fanny Crosby wrote that, uh, the words to that song. You've heard me mention the background for her, if you will. Uh, when she was a baby, she had eye problem, and the doctor administered the wrong medicine to her eyes and caused her to go blind. So she was blind the rest of her life. Yet she wrote somewhere over 12,000 poems. Many have been turned into songs. She later married uh, a songwriter, and some of those songs are in the book as well, where she wrote the words and the husband wrote the song, or the, the melody for the songs. Again, it's just that thought again of whatever this life brings doesn't necessarily mean that we cannot live a rich, full life in the eyes of God and feel that we've richly been blessed in the physical life that we live, regardless of how we view the surroundings in which we find ourselves. John, as he writes towards the end of his gospel in the 20th chapter, Down at verse 30, it mentions that truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. For these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Backing up a few verses that also remind us of these early disciples. And again, we have that tendency of elevating them because we have them recorded for us, their names given, a little bit about their background given for us. And so we have the apostles elevated a little bit. But that 20th chapter of John does bring out several thoughts about these disciples that this need to be mindful of. In verse 24 through 28, we have Thomas, who is called the twin, and the New American Standard, some have him, or the New King James, some have him as the Thomas, the doubter, that he wasn't there. And I always find that interesting. The first Sunday night service, Thomas was missing. He missed that first appearance of Jesus to his disciples together. Not told why, just told he wasn't there. He's called Doubting Thomas basically out of this. And as we look at what he is saying, we need to look at our own lives at times to see if we fall into that category of wanting to be a Doubting Thomas. We've seen the Lord, they told Thomas. 
He's risen. Thomas said, unless I see the nail prints, unless I put my fingers into those nail prints and into his side, I will not believe. Regardless of all that he had been a partaker of, regardless of the lessons that he had heard, the miracles that he had performed, he doubted God in his power to raise the dead and to raise Jesus back to life. Of course, if you back up just a little bit in verse 19, on the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Then it's 20. And when he had said this, he did what? He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They also wanted that visible proof, if you will. And we live our lives so many times that way. We want to see the visible proof that God is. And that God cares. And that God is working. Every once in a while you hear somebody say, I had a close call and God sure was with me. And are we saying that when somebody has a close call and it goes the other way, well, God wasn't with them. Sometimes we had that tendency of wanting to manipulate God to fit what we want him to do. And that's hard. We're kind of geared that way. We want to live life. What the scriptures are given as reminders to, to us that God is. Jesus is his son. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. There is none other beside him. And his will is being worked out. We do not see it being worked out the way that we would desire it being worked out. We do not see it being worked out in the time frame that we would want it to be worked out. But God is working his will out in the lives of his people. And when we have those moments of doubt, Jesus provided what was necessary for the eleven or the ten there. He showed them his hands. For Thomas, when it came time, he allowed Thomas to see his hands and to put the finger into the side. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Jesus is Lord, he is master, and he is indeed God. But if he is Lord, why do we find it so hard at times to follow him? To do what he says. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you do not, you cannot be my disciples. Take up that cross of crucifixion. Take up that cross of self-denial. Take up that cross of stop seeking self and seeking others. Unless we do that, we're not going to be his disciples. And we're not his disciples... We're not his followers. If we're not his followers, there is no alternative for us. 
as to where we shall go. Jesus Christ is God, and he is Lord. This essential theme of, if you will, of the New Testament, used some 747 times throughout the New Testament, Jesus is Lord. He's master. He's one to be listened to. He's one to, when he says we're to do without asking or questioning, we get that concept very early in our lives, and it stays with us through the remainder of our lives. It starts about age two, somewhere in there, when two-year-olds learn that favorite word of theirs, why. Whatever it is you tell them, there's why. You explain that one to them, and it's why. You explain that one to them, and it's why. It's what we do the rest of our lives, is it not? Is that not what we do so many times? Why does it have to be this way? Why can it not be another way? Why do I have to do it, follow it this way? Why is God so exact in this? Why doesn't he allow us the freedom to choose for ourselves in this? Why, 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 why? Jesus says, if you love me, John 14, 13, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But only if I understand the reason behind those. That's not what he says. Ours is trusting that he has a reason behind what he says. And again, just a casual observance of the world in which we live will tell you that. There are things that he tells us, no, do not partake of. It will harm you, it will destroy your soul, and all you have to do is look around and see it. The commercials show you that. The news shows you that. I mean, it's just all over this world showing you that man left to his own, doing his own device, does not improve his life one bit. It's all about me, is it not? You've infringed on my rights. You kept me from doing what I want to do. And I'm going to get out of it all that I can get out of it. And you've got lawyers out there who are more than willing to talk to you. I'll get every penny that you deserve into your pocket. And then I'll take it right back out. But how many times do we fight against this concept? These things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing in him, that he is who he says he is, that he means what he says he's going to do, by believing in him you might have life in his name. We're reminded in Acts 2 and verse 36, Peter on the day of Pentecost talking to the Jews of his day, Therefore let the, all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, what? Both Lord and Christ. God had declared him to be Lord. You hear people saying today, just call on Jesus, make him your Lord. He is Lord. You need to be obeying. And there's a difference in there. Jesus had, God had made him both Lord and Christ. He is the Savior of the world again. Demonstrated it through the prophecies of old. Seeing it through the, the ministry of Jesus and the fulfillment of those prophecies, 
Seeing it in his prophecies concerning his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Seeing it demonstrated as Peter is describing it on the day of Pentecost. Everything that these prophets told about has come to pass. This is God's plan. Ours is to be willing to want to follow it. The question again will come down. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you understand what it means? His name Jesus means Savior. He came to save his people from his, their sins. He will call, you will call him Jesus. He saves from sin. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of those sin is death. Do I understand him to be the Savior? And he is Master. He is to be obeyed. Written during a time frame where they would understand that term, our terminology today does not carry the same connotation to call one that master and understand what was involved in that. The obedience. The obedience not as the rebellious child. I know none of you are rebellious children. Not as that rebellious child, I'll do it, but I'll drag my feet doing it. I'll do what you say, but I will hate every step of the way. I've heard parents make the comment periodically, I I do not understand why my children do not want to go to church anymore. When they were young, we made them go. Every time the doors were open. Did you hear the word? Yeah. And what did those children hear on the trip home after services? Everything that was wrong with the service. They didn't see a love. A desire, a compassion of wanting to be there, of the desire to be there. Because that's where God is. That's where God meets his people. That's where the Savior is. His body is, is where his body is, that he died to, uh, to purchase with his own blood. Why would we not want to be there? And are you submitting to him as Lord? Do you know him as Lord and Master? And are you submitting to him out of that willing heart? God loved and he gave. Do you not sense a sense of rebellion in that, do you? Well, I made them. They missed up. I guess I have to save them, so I'll send my son. I don't want to, but I will. Do you catch that in anything of the scriptures? That God would even hint at that? Out of love, wanting what was best, and willing to make that provision for what was best, then that's what we're to do with one another. Is that not what we're striving to do? Part of the prayer that Charles offered, that we would be united as a body of believers, supporting each other, encouraging one another, working with each other, dealing with our faults and our weaknesses, our shortcomings. Recognizing we all have strengths in, in, in places of service. 
and are not in the same location at times or in the same degree. But they're there. It says the physical body functions as one. Does it work spiritually as well? Is he Lord of your thoughts? This is an area that no one knows about. Not even your spouse. Oh, they may think they know you pretty well, but we've got thoughts. But God knows them. Look at what Psalm 137. He says, I know your thoughts from afar. I know, you, I know your thoughts before you think them. I know your words before you speak them. I know you. I made you. I formed you in the womb. I know who you are. I know what you're capable of doing. What you're able to achieve. And we've seen that, have we not? That willingness to get a... And the more we encourage you to do that, I mean, I've heard many of you make that mention of that fact that you're always glad when you stand behind the pulpit. You may not be glad to be up here, but you're glad that you're standing behind the pulpit. Because they don't see your knees knocked together. But it's a service to God. It makes a difference. Because he, he trusts us. Because he says you can do it. It's like te- teaching your child how to ride a two-wheel bicycle. And they, they're prom- making you promise, do not let go until I'm, I'm ready to let go. Until I say let go, don't let go. They don't know you've already let go. They're already doing it on their own. They just don't know it yet. But you're there. Do you not believe God cares for you? Do you not believe he knows you intimately? Do you not believe he also knows what you can do? If you will but use what you have? It's going to be imperfect at times. But it's going to be precious. He knows your thoughts. He knows your tongue. When you are away from brothers and sisters in Christ. He knows your tongue. The language you use. Sometimes we don't think about it. I've mentioned it at times before when I've had an opportunity and at that time it could only I would go on weekends or on holidays with a brother in law of mine and I always hated holiday golf because <laughs> you know the course is packed. If the two of you go out you're gonna be signed you're gonna be teamed up with two others, you're gonna be make a force and go out there. And of course, during the course of it, someone down the line, you get talking about who you are, what you do, and so forth. And it's always interesting to see those responses time or two. And it says, please, please, please don't tell me you're a preacher. I said, yep, that's what I am. Uh, and there'd be times when they find out what you did, and then they would clean up their language. Didn't tell them, I says, you just think you cleaned up your language. You haven't got close to cleaning it up. You just don't realize how deep it is impacted you. 
time when I worked on the docks and uh, loading and unloading freight, and uh, some of the guys would uh, something would happen on the, the dock, and they'd let out a curse word or two, and they'd call piece of equipment by some name, and I say, "What kind of tow motor is that?" And they said, what are you talking about? I said, I want to know what kind of tow motor that is. It said, you called us such and such a name. Now we'll get out of here. Uh, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what, it, what makes this one different from another, whoops, from another one. Uh, language. God knows your language. It's been said you can only spill out of your mouth what's in your heart. Read that somewhere. What's in the heart? Sometimes you hear some part of my French or whatever expression they want to use. The only thing that can come out of the mouth is what's in the heart. What are you filling the heart with? Is Jesus the Lord of your mouth in the language that you use? Is he the Lord of your temper? Remember hearing one brother talk about his father, who he deeply admired. And one time the father was doing some carpentry work and hit his, the wrong nail. And he was, the son was interested to see what the father said. And the father said, that hurt. <laughs> that was his response. That hurt. <laughs> what comes out of the mouth? What about the temper that we have? Do we allow somebody to push your buttons very quickly? Siblings know about that. I promised you. Since I'm adopted sibling to some of these families out here, they know that too. I know what buttons to push. Where's your temper? Are you quick to lose it? Is Jesus Lord of that? in the life that we live. Your time. He's the Lord of your time. I don't have time to do that. You have time to do what you feel is important, do you not? You make time for those things that are important. We set those times aside. How important is God to us and what decisions do we make along the way what about your treasure what is your treasure one how valuable is it to you two and where does it place in priority in your life whatever that may be it's a wrestling point at times in our life to wrestle through that Whatever you have, you've been given. Paul says, why do you act like you haven't been given it? Whatever you have has been given to you by God. Why do you act like it's your own? <coughs> well, I'll give him this, but the rest of it's mine. It's all his to begin with. How are you using it in the life that we live? Is he the Lord of all that you have? If he's not, then he's not the Lord at all. It's important for us to understand who he is. 
and what he needs to be in our lives. He has a redemption claim on you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. What, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to Him. He created me one. He redeemed me two. I'm His all the way through. Do I understand that in the life I live? I'm His all the way through. The body belongs to Him. The spirit that He's given to me belongs to Him. My soul that has been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb belongs to Him. I'm His. And the one thing I find out, despite a lot of the readings that I've done recently, God is not a vindictive God. He's a very loving God. A very patient God. And a very encouraging God. He walks with us every step that we take. He's always there. He's the light that lights the way for us. He's the hand that picks us up when we fall and we look to Him. He's redeemed us. Have we accepted that? And what it means. It's always interesting when you talk about redeeming or redemption or ransom. That whatever it is that's being redeemed or whatever it is that's being ransomed. In basic practicality has nothing to do with the individual or the uh, item per se. It is what is that person worth to the one who's paying the price. What are you worth to God? He redeemed you. What are you worth to God? He gave his son to die and to shed his blood in order to make you his, to redeem you. That's how precious you are as an individual. That's how precious you are to him. You are of worth. You are of value. You are precious in the eyes of God. Then you ought to live that way. I'm a child of the king. I'm in his creation. I'm his creation. I'm in his creation. And one day, one day, I'll be in his kingdom and in that mansion that he has prepared. Is Jesus Lord? Is he God to you in your life? Is that where you are right now? Living a life in redemption?
living a life of glory to the one who has redeemed you, purchased you, and made him or made you his own. For you not where you ought to be. And there's a need to make a change in that life. God is patient. But one day that patience of his will end. And his justice will reign. While we pray and while we plead. While you see your soul's deep need. It's a call. To make a life right. There's a strong desire. On everyone here. That lives be made right with God. There's a willingness for us to help you make that decision and to make that life right with God. While we pray and while we plead, while you see your soul's deep need, we need to respond to that invitation. If we could assist you, if we could help you. Indeed, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.